Awesome morning this morning. It, I hope you had a great July 4th, a uh, great week to celebrate freedom in our country, but also to celebrate freedom in our relationship to Jesus Christ. We are jumping right in this morning to our Words from the Hill series that was supposed to be a summer series. It may end up being a Christmas series, all right? As we're walking through this, we have yet to make it through chapter 5. That's okay. Uh, we've walked through chapter 5, verse 1 through 16 thus far, and we've seen that Jesus, in his speaking for the first time to a large group of people for a long period of time, um, is laying out for them, the disciples, the groundwork, the framework by which they are to live the kingdom of heaven on earth. Understand something. We're going to take months and months and months to walk through what Jesus spoke in one moment. We're going to break this down, but don't piece this apart and say, well, all these messages are independent of each other. No, they're all a part of one message that Jesus preached. We're unpacking that, examining that through the context, through the lens of those that were listeners. And he had a lot of listeners here. Matthew chapter 4 tells us there were religious leaders, there were the sick, there were diseased, there were those who were investigating the teachings of Jesus, there are those who had come from a far distance to hear what Jesus had to say, and now they're gathered together, and Jesus called them up on the hillside. For them to understand, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a broken world? What does it mean to be a follower of this teacher, Jesus, that's new to the scene? As he's starting this movement, what is he going to ask of us as his followers? And that's what he does. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. He walks through, what is Jesus calling us to? How we are to live. We talked about salt and light Last week, we examined that, and the last two weeks, we've had you learning something, hopefully memorizing something, um, a little phrase there that we should live our lives with our eyes up, our ears on, and our hearts open. You guys want to give it a shot? It's on the screen. How easy can it be, all right? With our eyes up, our ears on, and our heart open. Now, I want to share uh, one of those moments that some of our church members had. Uh, we've got a couple that attends our second service. Their names are Wes and Wanda. Wes and Wanda are in our Sunshine Gang. Our, uh, some of those folks are retired. Um, they're, they're both retired. Uh, Wanda's gone through a couple years long battle with cancer. Uh, and they were out eating months ago at the Silver Diner thing place, Lexington. I don't know the name of it, Lexington Diner. And they were there eating. And as they were walking in to the diner, as they were walking in, there was another young couple that came in. Uh, Kirk and Amy, and they started talking to Kirk and Amy. Kirk and Amy know that I'm talking about them this morning, all right? So it's, it's all on above board. Kirk and Amy were from Jacksonville, North Carolina. Kirk, uh, they were there in Lexington. They were here picking up hay for their horses to take back to Jacksonville, North Carolina. I didn't know that we were the center of hay, but apparently for them, that's where they come. They buy their hay. They take it back to Jacksonville, and they stop at this diner. They walk in. They meet Wes and Wanda. They start talking months and months ago. They start having conversations. Uh, Wes and Wanda invite them over to their house. They come to their house. They form a friendship, a relationship. As a young couple, um, he has uh, been, he is out of the Marines. He was a sniper in Afghanistan in 2004, 2005, um, had seen and experienced a lot of the worst things that this world has. A lot of evil, a lot of brokenness. And so they began having conversations. They went to Jacksonville on vacation with Kirk and Amy, all the way from here from Lexington, North Carolina, built this friendship. They began to ask questions about faith, about evil, about brokenness in this world. 
And after months of conversations here and about months of conversations with a couple folks there in Jacksonville, Kirk has given his life to Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I share that with you for a couple reasons. I share it with you today because Kirk's getting baptized in his, his church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, they were not able, our church family was not able to go there, but they've been talking to them all weekend. They're excited about that. And here's why I share that with you. One, it's awesome, right, that God is moving in Kirk's life and has changed his life and is continuing to guide him and lead him. But the other thing is, what if they would have walked in with their heads down and their ears turned off and their hearts closed off? Do I believe that God would have used someone else to be a part of that? Absolutely. But do I believe they would have missed out? Yes. Their heads were up. They were looking. They were having conversation. And God brought somebody into their lives that they were able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. And that's what we're talking about. Being salt and light. Living. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Being the salt. Being the light in our community. Keeping our eyes up, our ears on, our hearts open. So I want to pray for Kirk, all right, this morning. Um, Kirk may never come to Rich Fork, all right, but we're going to pray for Kirk this morning. Let's pray for him. God, I thank you for Kirk and Amy. I thank you for allowing a couple folks from, from this body of believers to be a part of his spiritual journey and their spiritual journey. And thank you, God, so much um, for him understanding his need for a Savior, Jesus Christ, Thank you for him understanding that we do live in a broken world and all the more reason to trust in a great God. So thank you, God, for allowing this couple the privilege to meet Kirk and Amy. I pray for Kirk this morning. I pray for all the things that he deals with and has dealt with emotionally through the years. I pray for his baptism. I pray it is a glorious moment. Um, God, And I, one day I can't wait. God, if I don't meet Kirk on this earth, I can't wait to meet him in heaven one day. God, and us to rejoice together in the salvation we have together in Jesus. God, help us to live with our eyes up, our, our ears on, our hearts open as we continue to examine this passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 1, uh, just a quick reminder, build you up to where we were. Matthew chapter 1, Jesus says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So yes, the crowds were there, but I believe the direct audience was for Jesus to speak to his disciples and the crowds to listen in as well. But Jesus is laying that groundwork for the disciples, those that he's called thus far, to say, let me tell you, let me lay the guidelines for you, let me help you live the kingdom on earth here as it is in heaven. Then we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, where we're going to be for most of our time this morning. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 17. We, we've got to wrestle through this verse this morning, all right? My, my goal, my prayer is that it would just blow you away as it has me this week. And here's what Jesus says. So he's speaking to this crowd. He's speaking to the disciples, and he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, this is... Such an important set of verses, 17 through 20, that if you removed them from the words from the hill, from the Sermon on the Mount, that all you would have left is a list of rules of do's and don'ts. But when Jesus puts this in here, he's stating his mission on earth. He's stating what he is here to do. And he says, I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, in 2018, we don't talk about law and prophets, right? 
We don't quite understand some of the context that Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to Jewish people, primarily, who would have understood that the law was this. It's the first five books that we have of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, the law. And the Jewish people lived according to this law. There were those that lived it strictly according to this law. The Pharisees had 600 plus laws that they made sure that they followed. And they made sure they got it all right all the time. Let other people know that they were doing everything that they were supposed to do. Don't let anybody think that you weren't doing things absolutely perfect. And Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law was comprised of these But Jesus is going to convey to his listeners, to his disciples, that the law was not defined and was not given to confine or constrict the people, but instead it was to show their need for a complete dependence upon God, that their hearts must be transformed by God in order for them to live according to his purpose. And the fulfillment Jesus has in mind here is in relation to the Old Testament. It's not just an outside They were, some of the Pharisees, they were good at living an outside religion. If we drop our offering the plate the loudest, if we make sure that we check off our attendance, if we wear the right robes, if we present ourselves and pray the loudest, that we're great, we're religious, we're law followers. Jesus is not talking about the outside here. Jesus is going to speak to the inside, to the heart. Because this is what the law was for. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6 says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, cut away what's not needed, circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. There it is. The purpose Jesus is speaking of, the purpose that the law is speaking of, the law is designed to cut away from you what you do not need, so that you can pursue the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. This is heart surgery. This is heart surgery that Jesus is about to unveil to the people. Jesus was wanting to turn their attention, their hearts, to fulfill the old, the new, through transformation. As Jesus was giving this, though, one of the thoughts that I had as I was reading, I came to the realization that not all the disciples thought the same thing. Now, when I think of disciples, I I pictured in my mind Jesus, and he's walking down a dusty road, and they're all walking behind him like in a V formation, right? And they're all walking behind him in a perfect formation, and they all think the same, and they all live the same, and they're all just perfect at what they do. Can I just tell you the disciples came from a lot of different backgrounds? Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were greatly religious Jewish folks. Some of them were anything but greatly religious folks. So what I want to do this morning, I want to introduce you to a couple of them. They're not here, all right? That would be awesome, but they're not here. Uh, but, but I want to introduce you to a couple of these disciples. And, it, and it's got great importance. To, to, so as we walk through this, I want to introduce you to one of them, all right? One of them, his name is Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot can pretty much be defined by his title. He, he gets a title, right? He's Simon the Zealot. A zealot is somebody who is full of zeal. No duh, right? All right, full of zeal for what? For the law. And so Simon lived his life as a zealot. It was a religious community of people, a group of zealots. Some of them in history, this kind of of blow your mind. Some of them in history were so into following the law 
that they would carry a small dagger in their robe, and if they saw need to, to take care of somebody who was not following the law, they would stab them. Simon the Zealot is in that group. Now, we don't know if he was one of those. We don't know if he carried the law out to that point. But Jesus called Simon to be one of his disciples. He was a rule follower. He knew the rule. He knew the law. He loved following the law. That's what he lived for. And so he's sitting on the hillside, and Jesus is talking. He's preaching, beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. Oh, yeah, that's tough. I'm not sure I grab that salt and light. Salt, losing its saltiness, doesn't make sense, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep on going, light. And then he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Amen! That's what Simon would have done in that moment. Simon would have jumped out of his seat on the hillside to say, yeah, I like this Jesus now. I wasn't real sure before. He called me to follow him. I wasn't sure what I was a part of, but I'm in. If we're going to follow the law, got it. That's Simon. That's one of the disciples. But you also had other disciples. You had fishermen. Later on, the book of Matthew that's written by Matthew that we're reading, Matthew himself is called to be a disciple. Now, Matthew, if he had been sitting there, we're not sure if he was sitting on the hillside or not at this point. He's called a little bit later. But we know this about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, I don't know what you think about tax collectors, all right? But let me just tell you about this era of tax collectors. As a tax collector, Matthew, we know this, he was Jewish. And as a tax collector, he took the money from Jewish people and he gave a portion of it to the Roman government. That does not make you a friend of Jewish people, does it? So the people in this community that were Jewish wanted nothing to do with this guy. At one point, Jesus is meeting with tax collectors and sinners and the pharisees say who is this jesus that meets with matthews now you can imagine if jesus if is speaking this message and matthew's listening blessed are the poor in spirit no blessed are those who mourn <laughs> no blessed are those who follow the law i've not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law no it's not Matthew. My guess is if you would have taken these two guys and stopped at verse 17 and said, hey, so what do you think of Jesus? Simon would have gone, I think he is the best thing that's ever stepped on the planet. And Matthew would have gone, I don't know. Simon, let's take it to 2018. Simon grew up in church. He attended Sunday school. He takes up the offering. Sorry, guys. All right. He, he does everything He's a deacon. Sorry, guys. He, I'll stop there, all right? I mean, he, he is everything religious. He follows all the rules. Everybody in the community knows him as a great follower. He's religious. He's everything that you would expect a religious person. Matthew, man, he is not. He's breaking the rules. He's stealing from his own people. He's giving it to the enemy. He's not following the law. So when we come to Scripture... One of the things I wanted to do this morning is to involve you in Scripture. I wanted you to, to wrestle with this thought that when Jesus says, I have come not to abolish the law but to fulfill it, that you would go, oh. So not even everybody in his discipleship group, not everybody in his small group would have gone, yeah. 
He goes on to say, verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, those are grammatical pieces of the language, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Sounds a little like Matthew. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Simon's thinking, this is about me. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus is not in Simon's camp, and Jesus is not in Matthew's camp. Jesus is going to teach them, to reveal to them, to show them that he's come to fulfill, and it's going to blow both of their minds and their expectations of what he's about to teach and how he's about to teach this. Neither one of them would have seen what's about to come. Verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Simon may have thought, oh man, Jesus is in my camp. But later on in Matthew chapter 23, listen to what Jesus says about Pharisees. And we might throw the zealots in there with it, but about the religious right. About those in that culture who did everything that they were supposed to do by the law. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are clean on the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within all are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you are also outwardly appear righteous to the others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus had baffled people because he went to dinner with Matthew, and Jesus also baffled the Pharisees because he spoke directly against them, saying, listen, I know on the outside you've got it, but on the inside you don't have it. And Matthew, on the outside you don't even have it, but on the inside you don't have it. Jesus was going to speak to their intentions and to their heart, not their outward expressions of their religion. He was going to dig deep. So was Jesus on Simon's side or Matthew's side? Neither. J.T. English summarizes the mission and the purpose and the meaning of these important verses. Jesus is confronting sin. Jesus is offering forgiveness for sins. And Jesus is preparing to transform hearts. That's what Jesus is going to present as the mission of fulfilling the law. He himself would become the sacrifice, the payment for the sins of the people. But Jesus is going to confront the sin of the people. He's going to offer forgiveness. And he's going to prepare people for their heart to be transformed by Jesus. He's going to confront the sin of the most righteous. And he's going to confront the sins of the most unfaithful. He's not leaving anything in between. So Jesus then gives six illustrations that examples or teachings that help us to wrestle with. Now, I'm just going to tell you, today's the easy one. Next Sunday are the hard ones, okay? We'll get to the other five as we walk in, as we walk through Matthew chapter five. You can read ahead. You might go, nah, I think I'm skipping next week. All right, pastor, I'm out. 
But here's what I want you to see. What Jesus is about to do is in each of these moments, he talks about a sinful behavior that's one of the behaviors that you go, oh, no, man, I've never done that. Or very few people have ever done that. But then he comes back around and brings us all into the mix. I've said before that an iceberg is 10% above water and 90% below water. What sank the Titanic? What was underneath? That's what caused the damage. That's what brings the damage in our lives. It's not necessarily, maybe at times, the outward sins, but Jesus is going to dig deeper. He's not going to let the people be content to go, oh yeah, I don't do those, but let's don't talk about the things that are real. Jesus is going to talk about anger, lust, retaliation, marriage. He's going to walk through and he's going to examine the heart. So here's what he says in verse 21. Jesus is speaking. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is the law. Verse 21, they would have known it. The majority of them, the majority of us, the vast majority of us, were going, man, I'm in the clear. All right, Simon, we don't know for sure, but some of his zealot friends may have been responsible for murder. We don't know about him, but my guess is Simon's sitting there going, I came not to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. Uh, If you have not murdered, and Simon's going, whew, all right, I've caused some damage, but no, murder, I'm all right. This guy over here, he's going, man, I'm feeling pretty good. I rip people off all the time. I steal from people that are mine, but not murder. You see, Jesus is right here, is above the surface of the water. He's the iceberg part at the top here. He's addressing a sinful behavior, yes, that's above, but listen to what he, how he comes back around. He says, but I say to you, you've already heard But now I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Oh, can we go back to the murder part? Because that was a little bit easier to to skate under, to to get under. And Jesus says, no, let's talk about what you really struggle with on a day-to-day basis. Let's talk about anger. You see, one of them, on the surface, he goes, I might catch a few, but now in this teaching, the fulfillment of teaching the law, Simon's included, Matthew's included, I'm included, you're included. He's confronting sin He's going to offer forgiveness. He's going to offer to transform your heart. He goes on and he gives a very vivid illustration for them that I want to unpack for you. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Now, as as one commentator helped this light bulb go off for me, Jesus is preaching in Galilee. It's 80 miles from Jerusalem. Now, why that's significant is this. Jerusalem is where the synagogue, where the temple 
were the place where the high priest would make sacrifices for the sins of the people. So if you were, and you were going to take your offering, a goat or a sheep, or depending on your, your poverty level or what you had or had not, some pigeons to take for sacrifice, you'd, you'd throw those on your shoulder and you'd take the journey into Jerusalem and Jesus comes along and says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and you're walking up, you're about to give your gift to the priest to say, hey, can you offer this for forgiveness of sins? And as you're walking up in your mind, a light bulb goes off and you say, you know, my, my brother-in-law and I, my neighbor, my co-worker, I have bitterness and rage and anger towards them. And Jesus says, take down your gift, put it down at the altar, and leave and go back. Don't come back for the offering until you've reconciled. If we follow this on Sunday mornings, our attendance might be a little down and you might be vacant of a preacher. If we were to seriously take in this teaching from Jesus, this difficult teaching, he says halfway, you're on your way to the altar, and halfway there it comes to your mind, oh man, my heart is broken. I know there's anger. I know there's sin. I know there's resentment. I've got to leave this here. I've got to march back. I've got to park at the church, let the kids off. I've got to drive back. I've got to call my in-laws. I've got to grab the phone. I've got to repent to them. They may not become reconciled to me. They may not find the same thing that God's calling them, but I've got to at least offer it, and then I can go into worship. It's like this. It's walking in church and coming in, and man, and we're singing, uh, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, and halfway through the song, your hands are raised, and God says, put your hands down. Put your hands down. you got some unresolved anger with someone, some resentment and some bitterness. Put your hands down. Leave the service. Go find them. Go call them. Do what you've got to do. Then come back in and worship. Reconciliation is not a secondary role for us as believers. It's primary. It's right up there for us. He says, be reconciled to your brother and then and then come offer your gift. Now don't forget the purpose here. Jesus is showing us how to be salt and light, right? If we want to be the best salt and light, the best kingdom of heaven on earth, then we've got to be people who offer forgiveness and let go of anger and resentment towards our brothers. Our worship on a Sunday morning cannot be a worthy gift to the Lord until a spirit of reconciliation becomes your primary offering from your heart, from my heart. Simon the Zealot, he, he may have gotten so excited about the murder moment, so did Matthew, and now they're both thinking, oh, this is tough teaching. Reconciliation, putting anger to rest. This is a heart exam for each of them. Jesus goes on to outline. Don't let the issue, the brokenness, don't let it keep rising. 
that there may be a judgment and there will be a judgment for to, when we're unreconciled. Verse 25 and 26, he said, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Until you've settled up. Jesus was not on Simon's side. He wasn't on Matthew's side. He was on the side of confronting sin, offering forgiveness, and preparing to transform hearts. There's another chair. And this chair, it's not for the disciples. It's for you. It's for me. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. By fulfilling the law, he offered himself as a payment for your sins, for your sins, for my sins, so that we could have a relationship to a holy God, so that we could sit at the table for all eternity. He's going to confront your sins. He's going to give you opportunities to seek forgiveness. And He's going to transform your heart so that you can be the kingdom of heaven right here. So that you can be effective at being salt and light right now in the relationships that you're in. This isn't about Simon. This isn't about Matthew. This is about me and you. And our relationship to a, a God who offered his son as a payment for our sins to fulfill the law. You know, when you read through the rest of chapter 5, if you're like me, you're going to read through and you're going, I can't do it. I, I, I can't measure up. This is, this is really difficult stuff. And to that, I want to say you're exactly right, and neither can I. Except through the grace of Jesus Christ. Except through the power of Jesus Christ. Except through the forgiveness that is offered through Jesus Christ. Through a vibrant, growing relationship to Jesus. And to you, he says, come. To all of you who are weak and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Have a seat. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to offer myself as a payment for your sins. And I've come to transform your heart. This week and next, there's one question we're going to wrestle with, and it's this. To what or where is Jesus confronting you? Not me. Where is Jesus confronting you? It may be one of the things that Jesus walks through in chapter 5. It may not be. But where is Jesus confronting you? But understand, when Jesus is confronting, he's also offering forgiveness. And where he's offering forgiveness, he is there to cleanse you from unrighteousness. But be careful. When we start asking this question, one of the things the enemy likes to do is say, where is Jesus confronting me? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you how God needs to confront Simon I've seen Simon. 
And Simon's over there thinking, well, I don't know what Jesus is confronting of, but Matthew, oh my goodness, Matthew. This is not about your spouse. This is not about your neighbor. This is not about your child. This is not about your friends. This is not about your enemies. This is about us being confronted of our sin, being forgiven of our sin, and our lives being transformed by the power of Jesus in our lives. He's come to fulfill that purpose.